Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray over the word, shall we? Lord, I'm asking you today to touch the word to our heart. I pray, God, that this will not just be something that appeals to our mere conscience. But I pray, God, that there will be an absolute stab of our heart and spirit. Let the anointing of your sweet word and your powerful presence penetrate beyond what we could dare imagine in this house today. Strengthen us in the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Brother Shepherd read some of the passage that I am going to draw my text from today. Just a few nights ago in our revival service when he turned there and I saw this scripture come on the screen, I thought for sure he was going to get in my message for today. He read right up to this. As a matter of fact, he read some of this but never returned. So I just took that as confirmation from the Lord. The book of Psalm 78 and verse number 5, 6 and 7. I feel a heaviness of responsibility upon my heart today. And I pray that the Holy Ghost, I've just asked God since way before daylight this morning, please stand with me today. Please just stand with me today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. The book of Psalm 78 and verse 5, 6, and 7. The Bible says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God. Amen. That they might set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. Today we're, in each of our services, we are going to place a lot of emphasis on our Sunday school and children's ministry. We are officially beginning our annual Save Our Children campaign, which will run through... Easter and and during the next few weeks you're going to be hearing a little bit about what Sunday school and children's ministry is all about. As I've said many, many times that for us this is not glorified daycare. This is not just somewhere we stick our children so we can have church and then we just pray that God will help others in the church entertain them during that 
those moments. But we really believe that God provides us a tremendous, uh, a tremendous opportunity to touch the hearts of children. Amen. While they are young and impressionable, that they can receive something into their spirit. So during the next few weeks, you're going to hear a few times about Sunday School and Children's Ministry. But with the help of the Lord today, I want to draw my subject from verse 7. It says they, that they might set their hope in God. And I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Setting Their Hope. Setting Their Hope. A tremendous responsibility that we all have, and that is to set the hope of a generation to come. And so I I don't want you to think because I'm talking about Sunday school and children's ministry at large that, that, that we are just disconnecting everybody else because I want us to understand that as a church, I'm very intentionally talking about this to our adult class or our adult congregation while we do have children next door in the annex that are participating in Sunday school and ministry. I want, uh, I want you to understand that as a church, certainly as parents, but as a church, we bear a tremendous responsibility. This is more than just keeping tennis shoes on our children's feet and clothes on their back and coats in the winter and, and food and, and things of that nature. And so as a church, we all bear a responsibility. I'm going to be talking to parents. I'm going to be talking about parents today. I'm going to be talking to grandparents But I also want you to understand that if you're not a parent or a grandparent, that that does not relieve you of any responsibility because all of us are influencers in some way. And so this message is going to be tailored for each and every one of us. In the book of Judges, chapter 2 and verses number 1 through 7, I have tried for the sake of time to trim everything that I possibly can But I I want you to just stay with me today and and help me and help the Lord help us. How's that? Judges 2 and 1, the Bible says, And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I have made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. But he also said in verse 2, And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars. And then this stinging accusation, But ye have not obeyed my voice. And a piercing question to follow, Why have you done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum. And they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. Verse 7, And people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. I think that's very, very key to understand. That the people who were, uh, the, who were the recipients of this heavenly rebuke, the Bible says that they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. <clears throat> what a very startling passage of Scripture 
I can remember early, early on in my ministry as, as the Lord, the, the very first time I can ever remember this passage of Scripture coming to life for me as a preacher. I'll never forget the, the deep barb of the Spirit that I felt in my heart to think that God would manifest Himself in love. Somebody would understand as well that every rebuke uh, is not for the sake of trying to violate somebody, but sometimes we are rebuked because God is trying to awaken us and stir our attention. And so this text opens with an angelic visitation. However, the angel came with a very powerful message and an undeniable rebuke. And as we read through this particular passage, we see that it stirred the hearts of every listener, and it stirred them to tears. But as you continue to read, that you'll see that it stirred them to tears, but it did not stir them to change. And so it is entirely possible that we can experience an emotional thing. We can have something that, that stirs t- us to tears, but it doesn't stir us to change. I, I think this is a perfect segue right here for us as a congregation that we have just closed an, an incredible revival. And if we're not careful, we can be stirred in our emotions to tears, but not stirred to change. And if we are not stirred to change, then after a while we'll just settle right back down to where we were before God even began to deal with us in this manner. So verse 8 tells us that Joshua died at 110 years old. Verse 9 talks to us about where he was buried. However, if we drop to verse 10, the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. Or in other words, we were reading along and it said that Joshua uh, spoke these words. And as long as Joshua lived, they obeyed the word that was given to them. And they obeyed the word that was given to the elders that outlived Joshua. But in time, as time began to march on, we come to verse 10. And all that generation, all those that listened, all of those that cried, all of those that were stirred in this moment, the Bible says, were gathered unto their fathers. That's a biblical way of telling us that they died. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What a shocking thing to consider that God would send an angel down and an angel would say, I told you that I would be with you and I would walk with you and I would do whatever that you need me to do. I will be whatever you need me to be. But the part of the deal is this, is that you are to make no inhabitants, no leagues with the inhabitants of this land. You're not to bow down at their altars. You're, we're just passing through here. You're not to become what they are, but you're to keep yourself separated. God has always had a separated people. And he said, but you have not done this thing. And then he asked a question, I want to know why. Why are you bowing at their altar? And why are you worshiping strange gods? Why? Oh, the conviction that seemingly touched their heart. And they wept, they wept so until they named the place Bochum, which means a place of the weepers. Oh, we're going to just rename this. We're going to make this the place. We're going to remember all these tears that are here. We don't ever want to forget this. But somehow, in a moment of being stirred, they failed to be changed. I'm preaching to us today that we can ill afford to just be stirred. We must be changed by the power of God. 
And the reason that we must be changed is because there is a generation that's not one day in the sweet by and by coming along. There's a generation that will not be here somewhere over the rainbow. But there's a generation standing on our heels. Amen. Their toes are touching our heels. There's a generation that's not coming, but a generation that is here. A generation that's not on their way, but a generation that is among us today. And our job, our job, our responsibility, our role, the weight that ought to set down and gnaw into the shoulder of every saint of God in this house ought to be the realization that our our job is setting their hope. I have hope. Amen. I'm glad I have hope, but I can't just have hope by myself. I'm glad that I know where to turn when life just deals me a hand that I did not anticipate. I know that while I can lean to a certain extent to the medical field, and while I can lean a little bit over here to this area of expertise, I know that I cannot lean to my own understanding. And so when everything around me fragments and falls, I'm glad that I have hope. I'm glad that I have hope. But I'm not willing to just have hope by myself. I'm not willing to just possess this hope and hide it. But I want to raise a generation behind me and set their hope. Amen. I want to set their hope. Not just toss them a little bit of hope. Amen. Not just try to lend them a little bit of hope. Woo! Hallelujah. Not just sing about a little bit of hope. Not just preach every now and then about a little bit of hope. But I'm going to set. Amen. I want to take their feet and I want to plant it on the rock of God's infallible word. I want to set their hope. Woo! Hallelujah. My God, let's love him. Can we love him today? Can we love him today? In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, to think there would be a generation that rose behind them that knew not God, nor nor the things that he had done for Israel. Now listen, that's two points there. If if you're not careful, you'll miss that. There are two points there. Not only did they not know the Lord, but they didn't even know the history of what the Lord had done for their fathers and their grandfathers. I want want our children to know the Lord. I want them to have a Holy Ghost experience. I want them to be water baptized in His name for the remission of sin. But when they come up out of that pool and when they dry off, Amen. When they get lined out, I want them to know I'm going to take your hand. I'm going to take your hand and I'm going to put it in the hands of history. I want you to know this is not a Johnny come lately. This is not a message that was just born out of the heart of and the mind of a man. But on the day of Pentecost, hallelujah, on the day of Pentecost, a powerful sweeping of the Spirit began to move and it came down and it fell on those that were gathered there. And when it bewildered and mystified the community at large, Someone said, we need somebody to explain all of this to us. Simon Peter stood in his bold, in his, in, his, in his bold, courageous way. And he said, I want you to know that this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I will also tell you that in the same breath, in the same breath, he could have said, and also this is that that was spoken by Isaiah. I mean, he, 
this is that. Amen. This is that. This is not something new. This is not something conjured up in the heart, the minds of men. And so, it's not just enough to get the Holy Ghost. It's not just enough to know the Lord and the power of His might. But if you're going to have your hope set, you better hook yourself on to some history. You better hook yourself on to some foundation that will hold us. We're going to set their hope. We're going to set their hope. Mm, hallelujah. I'm not, I'm not here just to talk about me today because a lot of people could fit into this scenario. And I, I don't want to sound morbid or trying to be dramatic for the sake of a sermon. But I'll never forget the Wednesday afternoon that I got a, that I went down to visit my mother before church. My mom had been sick for a long time. And I felt prompted. I felt now I know it was God. I felt prompted I, I, to, to go right then to stop what I was doing and go down and visit her. I had no idea. I had no idea that would be the last conversation that I ever had with my mom. The next morning about daylight, I got a call and I walked into my mother's room and there her lifeless body lay on her bed. And I, I, I don't you get me wrong today, I was sad that I lost my mother. I was sad that I had had my last breakfast and my last lunch. I was sad that the last Thanksgiving, the last Christmas, it had all been recorded. I didn't know that, but I was so grateful that while I stood there, I didn't think all my hope is gone. I, my mother was gone. Amen. I, a lot of prayers that had been offered for me had now been silenced, so to speak. Amen. But I want you to know that a long time ago she set my hope not in her. She set my hope. Amen. Not in man. She didn't just set my hope in that, but she set my hope in her God. Are you hearing me today? That's woo, hallelujah. That's why two years later, that's why two years later, when my father came down with cancer and we would sit around the dinner table and my father not trying to be morbid but my father would say listen don't you worry about me uh, this is what I've been living for don't you worry about me I've been praying for this don't you worry about me I'm going to be with God I'm going to be with him I'm going to tell you what he was doing brother Jerry oh that cut my heart in some ways to think that my father would not be at my dining table it hurt my heart to think a Thanksgiving or a Christmas without my dad but you know why I kept going to church you know why I didn't stop praying? You know why I didn't shake my fist at God? Because my dad had set my hope. Amen. My dad had set my hope in his God. I'm talking about our responsibility today. Setting their hope. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, help me today. Amen. This passage ought to stir us as apostolic believers. It's possible to have a visitation from God in our lifetime and yet fail to pass that experience on to another generation. I want to talk to my son and I want to talk to him often about ladies' prayer meetings that I was privileged to attend. I didn't know how privileged at the time that my mother would drag me to yet another ladies' prayer meeting and there I would be. And I remember for a long period of time, I, I believe I could almost, I could take you to the general vicinity at least of where this building was located where some ladies would meet in the mornings and it was just a sawdust floor literally a sawdust floor and I remember laying and playing crawling under the pews and, and playing in the sawdust the chips while my mother and those ladies were praying I want to talk about that and I want to talk about it often I want to talk about when my mom would get my brothers on the bus and, and, and I want to talk about how she would take a few toys and set it at her bedroom door and 
and she would leave her door ajar that I could see her silhouette against that bed. And she prayed, Oh God, I want you to touch my family. Oh God, I want you to save my children. Amen. What she was doing, Amen. She was setting my hope. She was setting my hope. She was forming. Are you hearing me today? I'm not talking about a perfect mother. I'm not talking about a perfect father. But I'm talking about somebody that said, When I fail and when I stagger and when I stumble, I'm going to set your hope in my God. Because in Him, we can trust. The old songwriter, Brother Gibson, had it right. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. And oh, when I hear that old rendition, when I hear that old song, it wakes something up inside of me. I'm glad I know who Jesus is. But hear me today, if I know who Jesus is, but I fail to convey to my children who Jesus is, then somewhere at the end of that song, I have fallen flat on my face. Amen. Oh, God, help me not to just know Him. But I want to convey to a children and to a generation of children that are coming along, I want you to know who Jesus is for yourself. Oh my. Oh my. I remember several years ago I was at a the youth camp. My wife and I were there. Actually, we were there working, but there was a young lady that we knew and, and she was there and she was seeking for the Holy Ghost. Now this lady, this young lady was very practical. That was her emotional makeup, her structure, very practical. She wasn't one to get kind of caught up in the emotions. And I knew she loved the Lord and was very sincere. And so one night somebody came, they got us and they said, hey, she's in the altar praying. And so we went back to the tabernacle and, and we were standing there and in and, and, and this moment I could see in her a desperation. I could see in her a hunger. But yet David said we're fearful and wonderfully made. And so everybody is not of that not not as emotional as other people. And so I just turned around. Sister Trail, I turned around with my back to the crowd that was praying for her. And I said, Lord, you know what it's going to take in order to reach this young lady. You know exactly what she's going to have to have to have an undeniable experience. Amen. You're not going to rub it in her. You're not going to shake it in her. You're not going to praise praise it into her. You're not going to la 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 it into her. Are you with me today? Amen. And I just turned back around and I said, Jesus, right now, reveal yourself. Reveal yourself in a way that she can get it. And in just a few moments, she began to speak with other tongues. Are you hearing me today? I'm telling you what God was doing right then was setting some hope. Amen. He was setting some hope in her life. We need to understand there's a generation coming behind us. They're being attacked on every side. They're facing things we can't even dream about. They're facing things in their teenage years that would blow our mind as adults. Are you hearing me today? That's why we can't kick or toy around with this thing. We can't panic around and have church. My God, they better see a red-faced preacher every now and then. Amen. They better see somebody excited. They better see somebody on their knees. They need to see somebody walking out in the aisle. Hear me today. Why? Why? Because we're not just trying to have church. We're setting hope. That's what we're doing. We're setting hope. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> if, if we fail to convey the truth to this next generation, hear me, we are soon out of business. Now, I'm not implying that the church doors would get locked. The building would be put up for sale. Property would be auctioned off. 
No, no, I'm not implying that. We, it's too much part of our social life. It's too much a part of our society. It's too much a part of our network. It's too much a part of what we do. But I'm telling you that we can keep coming to this same address. We can keep coming right here and gathering in this same building. As a matter of fact, we can build the new building and keep coming to the new building. Amen. The devil doesn't care how many times you gather a week as long as you're not praying. Amen. As long as you're not stirring. As long as you're not setting hope. He doesn't care how many times you come, how many songs you sing, how long you hang out, how many fellowship dinners you have. Amen. You know what makes hell nervous? Hell makes nervous when we start reaching back to a generation and we start putting their hand. Hallelujah. We start putting their hand in another hand and say, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel this. I really don't have time to meander too many times because it's going to be one of few, so stay with me. But, uh, but we, we've kind of moved on to something different now, but several years ago, for a long time, we had uh, what we called Youth in Action. And our youth on certain Wednesday nights of the year, they were responsible for the services by and large. And they would do the singing. They would do the playing, all the music. They would do the praise worship. They'd take the prayer requests. And, and then in time, many of them would even speak during that service. And, and you know what? On those Wednesday nights, you just had to be a preacher to understand this and I forgive you for not being able to, can, to get it all the way in your heart but I'm going to tell you on those Wednesday nights when I knew I didn't have to preach when I knew I didn't have to sing I come on those Wednesday nights I didn't even walk on the platform when I knew that that Wednesday night was just a night that I got to just come to church I just felt light as a feather And I don't mean to be mean-spirited here, but Brother Wayne, I rather enjoyed. I rather enjoyed seeing Brother Everett at the time or, or, or Brother Justin at the time walking around. You know, I saw myself in them. I, oh, uh, you know, I just, you know, just a basket. Why? Why? I just see them singers. I told you guys, all right, oh, I hope we got it. I hope we got it. You know, I was sitting back inside. I was saying, this is what you need to feel. You need to feel this gnaw. You need to feel this draw. You need to feel that gnaw into your shoulder. Don't you just come in here, let somebody else sing you to glory. Don't you just come here, let somebody else preach you to conviction. Don't you just walk in this building and let somebody else do the work. My God, let it get a hold of you. Amen. Let it get a hold of you. Spare it. Spare it. Wear it. Why? Woo. Hallelujah. We're trying to set some, we're trying to set some hope. Let you know this doesn't happen by itself. This doesn't happen by itself. This doesn't just happen by itself. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. This needs to bear on us. It needs to bear on us. Hallelujah. And so if we're not careful, we're going to be out of business. And what I mean by being out of business is that we are just going to have a place to marry the young and bury the old. But I want to ensure, I want to ensure as the shepherd of this church, not that we're just still having church, but I want to make sure that doctrine stays pure from behind this desk. I want to make sure that the doctrine stays pure in Sunday school classes. I want to make sure doctrine stays pure in children's church places. Why? 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 Because when they walk out of the annex and into this auditorium, I want them to be able to say, that's what my Sunday school teacher said. That's what my children's church leader said. That's what they were talking about. Oh, that's what they were talking about. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, I'm setting hope. I'm talking about setting hope in the name of Jesus. Setting hope. Setting hope. Dear God, dear God of heaven, 
tell you. Let me tell you why this church is here. This church is not here because we had people that come along had enough money in their bank account to help us keep the lights home. This building is not here because we had somebody that would give us enough financial means that we could keep everything afloat. This church was built on Acts 2.38. This church was built on repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And if we think we can build it on one thing and then sustain it on something else, we are fooling ourselves. I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to do as a pastor. I'm trying to guide with one eye in here. I'm trying to watch with one eye. I'm trying to shepherd with one eye on this congregation. But I've got another eye fixed on the future. Amen. I got another eye fixed on the future because this is not all there is to it. Amen. I don't want to be like Hezekiah. Well, as long as it's well in my day, as long as I got everything I need, as long as I got a place to go to church until I die, as long as I got some place, a little spot of ground to be buried in, as long as you can cram me in the dirt, amen, everything's all right. No, no, no. Amen. I want to leave this world with my eyes on another generation saying, you got it. You got it. Come on now. Come on now. Praise. Praise the Lord. Our hope. And so we must ensure our future. So often we read through the Old Testament and downplay these age-old scriptures as irrelevant for us today. But be very, very careful that you don't toss something very, very important out. Some of our friends, some of you are... Connected, I won't tell who he is, but some of you are connected to this guy, on, just brother on Facebook, and, and you may have read this post yesterday, I think, or last night, where he said he got up early in the morning and uh, took the trash out by the road. And after the garbage man already left, then he, he reaches around, he wants to take a jacket back that he had bought, and uh, he was going to return it. And, and he, then he realized all of a sudden that a part of one of those bags that he threw away was a jacket. There was something in there worth money. There was something there valuable. It was too late. The truck's done gone. Buzzards are already circling. Amen. It's, it's, it's already over with. If you're not careful in, in trying to throw stuff away and trying to divorce this and trying to divorce yourself from that, if you're not careful, you'll throw something away. And all too late realize, oh no, oh no, oh no. That was a vital part of what our existence is all about. Oh no, that was important to what we're doing here. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Amen. Stay with me now. Amen. I can feel when you lean in, but I can also feel when you lean back. I need you to stay with me now. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. We need it in our head. We need it in our head. But I need this in my heart. Because there's a lot of men 
There's a lot of women right now. They may be still hung over from last night's binge. You can wake them up. You could shake them and rattle them and ask them how many gods are there. And they could tell you there is one Lord. They may even quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4. It's in their head, but it's not in their heart. That's why they were on a bar stool. That's why a needle's in their arm. Are you hearing me today? You can have it in your head and not in your heart. But he said you need to put this in your heart. And what's in your heart? You're going to be emotional about what's in your heart. I mean, we're going to be passionate about Verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you get up. Where's this all taking place? Somebody say it loud. Where's all this taking place? In, at home. At home. What? This is going on in your house? You better stop throwing pots and pans. Amen. You better stop cussing each other out. Amen. Well, I'm just in rare form today. and I figure you, you've, had, you've had four consecutive services of Bruce Shepherd. This would be nothing. I mean, this would be nothing. I say that with great respect. You know that. But you, you better stop all that nonsense. You better stop all that nonsense. Your house is a refuge. Amen. You better stand at the door. You better stand at the door. You better guard what's coming in your house. Why? Because I'm busy setting some hope in here. I'm busy setting some hope in here. When are we going to talk about one God? You mean once a year when the pastor teaches on it? Once every 18 months when the pastor does a doctrinal study? I hope to God not. He said talk about it when you sit down. Talk about it when you lay down. Talk about it when you get up. Hear, O Israel. My God, help me have mercy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's one. It's one. What are you doing when you say that? What are you doing when you quote that? What are you doing when you read that? You're setting hope, Brother Gibson. Setting hope. You, you, you can be seated. And I know Justin was a, a, a young man, certainly not trying to make him the high water mark. He mean, if anybody knows his faults, he does. And certainly you do because he's grown up in a glass house. But I've never been so stirred in all my life when many, many, many years ago I was doing a doctrinal series and Justin was a child, maybe 10 or 12. And, and, and one night Justin said, Dad, ooh, I just love when you teach on doctrine. I just love when you teach on doctrine. We get home. He said, i got a few more questions for you. I want you to answer me this. Tell me about this. And I'm telling you, with, with just a child, with just a child, him and he just sat with his eyes fixed and he wanted to hear about the, the doctrine. Are you hearing the foundation? Tell me about what we're built on. Hey man, you know what I was doing? I didn't feel like, well, you should have got it while I was preaching. I didn't tell him, hey, go buy the CD. I didn't tell him, tune in to www.hashbenapostolic.org. I sat down and said, let's do it one more time because I'm setting some hope. I'm setting some hope. I'm setting some hope. And when you don't know where to turn and when you don't know where to go and when you're confused and when the world comes against you, hallelujah, and when theological swords are pulled out against you, amen, I've got to set some hope in you that you know Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one. When Israel crossed over Jordan's river, they were instructed to take 12 stones and build a monument. They were to build this with one thing in mind. 
the next generation. They weren't building this heap of rocks for them. There, there wasn't a chance in this world that those people that crossed over Jordan River on dry ground, there wasn't a chance in this world. There wasn't a chance in this world they were going to forget the swelling of Jordan's River. They weren't going to forget when they saw the sole of that priest's feet when it touched the water and that water rolled back and they weren't going to forget that. They went across on dry ground. They didn't wade knee deep through mud but on dry ground. You think they're going to forget that? No. But he said build a monument and when your children ask what needeth these stones stop whatever you're doing. Sit them on your knee. Amen. Stop whatever you're doing. Get them around and gather them close and say children this is where God this is where God brought us through. This is where God brought us through. Set their hope. Amen. I want to go back to the passage in Psalms that I read from our text. This has been my introduction. Praise God. Man, I need an IV following around with me right now. Go back to Psalm 78 with me. Praise the Lord. I feel this in my heart. I feel this in my heart. This passage speaks about the family and the spiritual responsibilities that we have because family is a very big thing to God. And that's why Satan is fighting so hard to destroy. Hear me now. Your family and my family. If you think the pressures of all this is just going on outside of the walls of this church while we just sitting here minding our own business, you better get your head out of the dirt. Amen. You better get your head out of the sand. Get your head out of the clouds. The Bible says that God loved the, the family so much that He wouldn't allow any man to be alone. So He set the solitary into families. Amen. God is all about the family unit. After all, it was His idea when He saw that Adam was missing something. Everything was perfect. Everything was right. But there's one thing wrong. Oh, the birds are singing. Oh, they're right on key. And the sun comes up right on time. And it sets right on time. The waters are separated just like I told them to do. But there's one thing missing. And he said, Adam, I'm going to put you to sleep, son. And when you wake up, I'm going to give you a gift. Amen. A gift that's going to keep on giving. A gift that's going to keep on giving because it's going to bring completion to you. Now, I realize we have here today before us people that are, are in or from fractured families. There are broken homes represented here today. So I don't want you to be offended by anything I'm about to say. I can't, I can't just work around everything. So just be grown and stay with me. As a matter of fact, if you're here and that fits you, you maybe ought to be the best, best amen corner that I have today. So with that said, let's talk about the family. A mother and a father. A mother and a father bring ingredients into a home that is crucial for the spiritual and the emotional stability of a home. Now, I realize we're speaking in idealistic terms, but just stay with me. Because together, a mother and a father literally bring, or they should bring, the perfect blend of femininity and masculinity needed for children to grow up balanced. My, my wife was very careful as a young man to teach Justin how to cook certain things. And oh, I just gave him the blues for it. 
called him Betty Crocker. <laughs> so, well, what's Betty fixing for us today? <laughs> but he knew it was in fun. And God knew he was going to need to know how to cook. <laughs> See? Now, your mind, I just have... Well, hey, baby, I didn't... That was you standing. God knew... <laughs> I, I just marvel at how fast you guys can go from spiritual to carnal. Marvel, I marvel, I marvel. That means we weren't too far away from it to begin with. But we need this balance. We need this balance. He needed to be in the kitchen. Listen to me. He, he needed to be in the kitchen. Figure out how to do some of this stuff. Some, some of these guys helpless. They're just helpless. they got no clue about how to do anything. Amen. And so they, he needed that. But you know what he also needed? He also needed to be down at the barn with me around the fire with a, with a coffee pot just sitting up over that fire with just coffee grounds. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the real deal. Just to make your hair stand straight up. He needed those times. He needed those times. And so I don't have a lot of these illustrations to give. I can't talk about hunting and fishing and golfing and all this kind of stuff. Bull riding and all that kind of stuff. But, but I can, we had coffee on the fire. That's why we can, amen, we had coffee on the fire. Showed him how to hold a wrench. Showed him about righty tighty, lefty loosey. Amen. Are you hearing me now? Come on, men. You know what I'm talking about. Had to teach him how. This is what you do. This is how you do it. And, and this is how you change oil. This is how you rotate your tires. This is how you change your brakes. And, and when you break down, amen, when you break down, this is, you know what to do. Have this with you all the time. I told him about always have some money tucked away in the back of your wallet. That's your Rat Pack money. When you get down to that money, you're broke. You have no money. When you get right there, you're out. You're done. You can't even buy a Coke. You can't buy a candy bar. And you know what? I guarantee you he's got some Rat Pack money in his wallet right now. He needed that balance. Are you hearing me? I'm sorry. If you think I'm trying to make this about us, I'm, I'm just trying not to talk about anybody and offend you. Amen. We need that balance of feminine. We need that balance of masculine. Amen. That's what happens. That's what happens in a home. And so these two influences together, especially when they are built on a godly foundation, are vital forces in shaping the spirituality and the psychology of healthy children. By the same token, the absence of these positive influences can have devastating effect, effects on the family. Since 1963, since 1963, we have watched the family on an out-of-control spiral. And, and, and if I'm talking to people that have been in and around church a long time, you can stay with me for this next part. For many, many decades, that stayed in the world. And the church was kind of, not all together, but you and... Then after a while, the devil said, I've had enough fun out here. Now I'm going to come inside and I'm going to play. And, and I'm, I'm speaking with great deference to anybody with a broken home. Hear me today. But when, when this happened in 1963, violent crimes has increased over 500%. Illegitimate births, over 400%. Divorces, over 400%. Children living in single-parent homes increased 300%. Teenage suicide, 200%. SAT scores have dropped almost 80 points despite huge increases in support for education. 
Another alarming statistic, and this cannot be lost to us, not only as church members today, but as Americans. Another alarming statistic is the crime among the very young, age, ages 7 to 12. Ages 7, violent crime among 7 to 12 year olds has increased a staggering 60% in just the last few years. So what's all this talk about children's church? What's all this talk about Sunday school? I'm talking about it right now. I'm talking about it right now. Amen. One major cause is a a breakdown of the home. The moral and the spiritual condition of society is always the offspring of the family. So the family is the unit. And then when that breaks, society begins to fragment. We have incredible responsibilities to make sure that we raise our children under the umbrella of God's truth. Now listen, I, I didn't, I'm not wanting to sound smart aleck here, but I, I didn't just start doing this yesterday. I've been preaching a long, long time, and I've been pastoring, you know how long. Amen. But I've heard with these ears, I've heard parents say, well, I don't want to force our, I've heard apostolic parents say, I don't want to force our religion on our children. I want them to be able to make up their own mind. Are you insane? Are you insane? Are you going to take that same position about hygiene? Are you going to take that same position about education? Are you going to take that same position about other issues in our world? My God, help us today that we don't lose our moral compass. Amen. That kind of twisted thinking is nonsense. I need to speak to every mother and father in this room. If you take a neutral stand in your home, there is no doubt what your children are going to do. Amen. If you're neutral, then they are going to be neutral. As a matter of fact, if you're neutral, they might even be in reverse. Most parents want their children to know about God and they want them to know about moral living, but somehow they never stop long enough to consider just where such training is going to happen. They think they send them to Sunday school and children's church or youth services, that this will be sufficient. But hear me this morning. While we're going to do everything within our power to create an atmosphere where our children and young people can be impacted, it will never, somebody say never with me, never be enough. We have 168 hours in a week. With that in mind, think about this. If, if parents get up and come to church and bring their children, they're only in Sunday school for about an hour. Matter of fact, they're out there waiting to come in now, so some ushers need to help them because I'm not done. And if, and if, if mom and daddy gets up and gets dressed and brings their children on Wednesday night, they're only in children's church for about an hour. So that still leaves 166 hours a week. Now, if this is the case, I'm asking you, how do you think we are ever going to set their hope? Obviously, this cannot single-handedly happen at a church or in church functions. However, there is a place. (laughs) Can you say there is a place? There is a place that has more impact on your children than any place in this world. And that is your home. That's why we preach diligently about what we allow to take place inside our home. If Hollywood has an open invitation to pipe adultery and fornication and drinking and drugs and every other conceivable thing under the sun, then don't be surprised when these things start influencing our children. 
Amen. If, if, if we're not careful in this day and age, and this is not a pastor picking, this is a pastor being a shepherd, if we're not careful even about video games that our children are exposed to, they're filled with sexual overtones and violence. They're filled with it. And so if we're not careful to guard what happens, you know, I, 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 I need one more meander slip here. When... Um, when Nehemiah came to the gate of Jerusalem and he saw the men of Tyre selling all manner of wares there on the Sabbath day, he said, now your fathers didn't teach you to do this. They, as a matter of fact, they taught you not to do this. So he said, now we're not going to be doing this anymore. This is the last Sunday that you're going to be selling wares. And so, uh, and so the Bible says that the men of Tyre the next Sabbath came back. Now, I'm in the book now. And Nehemiah went out there and met them. And I think they talked belt buckle to belt buckle and nose to nose. And I think, I think the hot, steamy breath of Nehemiah was, was, was being felt. He said, if you do this again, we're going to lay hands on you. And I don't think it had nothing to do with prayer. And so then Nehemiah says, now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take some of my men and I'm going to set them at the gate and we're going to guard. And anybody that comes in this gate or out of this gate, you're going to show your bags. Whereas it's like going through the airport. You're going, to, you're going to reveal what you got right here. But then Nehemiah took it one step further. He said, but in time we're going to work where you set your own men at the gate. Now some of you sweet church folks are way ahead of me. If I have to preach about everything under the moon, then you're going to bury me pretty early. Matter of fact, I probably haven't got but a few more days left. If, 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 if. I'm thankful that you love me, though. I appreciate that. In other words, if I have to guard your home every day, Brother Trail. If if I gotta if I gotta go and sit in the parking lot where you work every day just to make sure you live right, if I gotta follow you around, I mean you're you're on one row and I'm on another track on another row, just making sure what's going on here, what's going on here. I mean, how in the world are we ever going? But he said at some point you gotta set your own men. At some point you gotta set something in your heart at your own gate. At some point, at some point I'm not gonna need need Nehemiah to say get on out of here. At some point I'm not gonna need Nehemiah's guard to say get on out of here. I'm not trying to negate my responsibility as a pastor but there's going to come a day that you're going to say uh uh-uh, uh not here amen no 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 that's not coming in here why why because my fathers my fathers taught me my father sent my hope Jesus 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 I know this is a baited question but can you hang with me for just I mean, we're going to get through this. When parents allow this to take place in your home, what you're doing is chipping away at the foundation of the only real hope they have. Amen. So now let's really truly go to Psalm 78 and 1. The Bible says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Listen up. Listen up. Lean in. Lean in. I got something to say. Ultimately, Psalm 78 and 3. 
I want you to hear the words which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. The motivation of the source of this teaching was fortified by the example of their fathers. So listen. Four, verse number four. We will not hide them from our children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done. We refuse to hide this from our children. Hallelujah. How, what kind of parent, what kind of parent would have a child burning up with fever and knowing that you had some Tylenol? Well, I'm not going to tell them about that. I'm not going to show that. I'm going to hide that. I'm going to keep that. I might need that Tuesday myself. I'm going to, what kind of parent in their right mind would hide the hope? What kind of parent would hide the medication? What kind of parent would hide some glimmer of hope? And so he said, we will not hide from our children what our fathers have told us, showing to the generation to come. We're going to show them the praises of the Lord. We're not going to just talk about the praises of the Lord. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of proud moments I have in this church, and I use that word very, very guarded and in a very, very righteous way. But there are some very, there's some wow moments, let me put it that way, that I have as a pastor of this church. And some of those wow moments through the years, through the last 25 years, this is what I've watched from the platform. I've watched, I've watched what, that our ladies are no longer the leaders in worship in our church. I remember a day that if it wasn't for some blessed ladies that would get out in the aisle and worship, I'm not trying to throw rocks, men, but come on now. Amen. I'm glad. I'm not saying we had no worshipers, but I'm glad. I'm glad now. Amen. That when we step out as a congregation, and there are going to be some ladies in there, but I'm going to tell you, these men, amen, these men have called on to the fact. Hallelujah. You know, we talk about we talk a lot about holiness. We talk a lot about holiness and some people misunderstand that we think holiness is just for the women. You, no, no, no. You couldn't be further from wrong. You, further from right, rather. You couldn't be further from the truth. There is a responsibility for all of us to live a separated life. Amen. There is responsibilities in dress for men and women. But you hear me today. Amen. That our women do have things that the Word of God talks to them specifically about. But that don't, they're not busy doing that while the men are over here chewing on a cigar. No, no, no. Amen. But God God said to the men, amen, that you need to be a worshiper and the priest of your home and you need to come before me lifting up holy hands. You're not going to lift up holy hands if you hadn't been doing holy things. You're not going to lift up holy hands if you've been participating in unrighteous things. And he said without wrath and without doubting. Hallelujah. You can't come in here and worship on Sunday and cuss like a sailor on Monday. Hear me today. You can't come in here and sing on Sunday and sing on Wednesday and then just act a fool all through the week without wrath and doubting. I'm going to lift up holy hands. I'm going to be a worshiper. I'm going to be the priest of my home. Stay standing there. The, the, your big, your big compliment. I, I know how we all men. We got egos big as Buicks. It take a tank of gas just to drive around our ego. Amen. But your greatest compliment. Put one of them up there. Come on, do it now. Right? 
Your greatest compliment will not be when Cricket hooks her arm around that arm, y'all walking out through the mall, when she says, mmm. I don't want to weird anybody out, but here. And she's holding on to that. And you know, you, you know how men are. We Somebody grabs that bicep. You just can't help but throw a little flex on it. You, you about to die to do it right now. You know you are. God in heaven knows I appreciate you not doing it. But... <laughs> but let's... Let's all stay in church now. But your greatest compliment will not be when mama thinks she's walking along and feeling safe. But your greatest compliment will be when she says, Honey, I need you to lay hands on me. I need you to pray a prayer of faith for me. And she has confidence, not in just your ability to change her flat tire. And not just confidence in your ability to, to rotate the tires. Not just confidence in the ability to, to go outside if you hear some strange, weird noise at 4 o'clock in the morning. The greatest compliment is when your daughter and your, and your wife says, I need the priest of my home. I need the priest of my home. And you can pull that cover back knowing you haven't been where you shouldn't have been three hours before. Knowing that you hadn't been talking about things you didn't have no business talking about four hours before. Knowing, knowing, knowing that you didn't leave the bed of another woman six hours before then, you can pull that cover back and you can raise your hands and say, God, this is Everett Bird. Amen. This is Everett Bird. Hallelujah. 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 This is Everett Bird. I've come to make a petition. I've come to plead the blood. I've come to. Uh-huh. Hey, where did all this come from? Because somewhere along time ago, a man was sending some hope for a wife and a child. Amen. You can be seen. We're not going to hide this. We're not going to keep it a secret. Now, verse, verse 5, the Bible says, For he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that they should make them known to their children. I, I know people don't really like a lot of times audience participation, but help me. Amen. Everybody say, that's me. He said that they should make them known to their children. The most effective way to communicate truth is when it comes from parents. The more parents teach their children and fortify their instructions by godly living, the better off we all are. Because if you say one thing at church, but you act another way at home, don't you think it's lost to them? I mean, you can't talk about how important church is when, when the preacher or the pastor or whoever is talking about it. We need to be in church when the doors are open. You say amen. Well, your children are going to expect you to be there when the doors are open. I'm not trying to negate any responsibility that I have as a pastor, nor am I trying to excuse any responsibility that any leader in this church has. However, Sunday school teachers, children's church ministries, and student ministers and pastors were never meant to be substitutes for mother's tears and father's prayers. Because parents have the opportunity as no one else to be a living model in attitude and in action 
of the things that we are trying to communicate to our children. I can only talk about it here. I can only talk about it here. But you can talk about it and live it out at home. I, I, I need another meander slip. I know I've used this example so many times. But hear me, it's burned in my heart, my spirit. We were preaching a revival and the church service was over. Just a few people left lingering in the sanctuary. And all of a sudden a man and his wife, and if memory serves me around about two or three children, came in. They all had pillows and blankets under their arm. They come walking past the pastor and I in the foyer. I'm wondering what in the world is going on. And I looked at the pastor. I said to Brother Upton and said, what? what's up? He said, that man lost his job today. And he's brought his family tonight to this church to spend the night in prayer because they're petitioning God about another job, about some means. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Didn't say, now children, we need to pray about this. We need to just gather around. He said, get your pillow and get your blanket. Well, you say, well, that just seems kind of extreme. That kind, what kind of church is you preaching in? They are, hear me. I was preaching in a, in a church where a family was desperate and they realized that what I'm going to do tonight, I'm not just going to pray and ask God to give me a job, but when my boys are grown and when my daughter is grown and they have some crisis in their family, amen, they're not going to be looking around, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? But you, just play along with me. Just play along with me. I believe it's entirely possible that at some point in one of those young men's life, they said, you know what it's time to do? It's time to grab the pillow and it's time to grab the blanket and we're going to the house of God. Amen. Why? Because the father and the mother said, we're not just going to talk about this. We're going to set some hope. We're going to set some hope. This is serious business. This is serious business. Amen. I promise you, I'm omitting everything I feel like I can. Amen. We're not going to hide this from the children. When we fail to communicate God's truth to our children, we're guilty of hiding from them the most important, the most valuable, the most critical information in the world. In the world. The goal of God's truth is to be communicated effectively from generation to generation. So here's the word of caution to every parent today. By our own indifference to the things of God and by our preoccupation with materialism and by our failure to get real in our walk with the Lord, we become guilty of concealing God's truth because we fail to tell the generation to come the truth of God's Word. He is a provider. He is a sustainer. Amen. Let me just reach today. Let me just reach in my spirit. Amen. I'm reaching for that person that's just trying to make one more dollar. Just one more dollar. One more rung on the ladder. One more promotion. Are you hearing me today? I'm not preaching against material, against prosperity. God, help me know. I'm not talking about that. But I'm telling you, when those pursuits get ahead of your church, when those pursuits get ahead of your prayer, when those pursuits get ahead of your God, you are headed for a downfall. Amen. At the end of the day, hear me. Amen. Those children will be much better off to have a mother and a father that knows how to fall on their face and get a hold of God. Amen. They don't need just a daddy that knows how to do this with their hands or do that with their mind. They need somebody that can get a hold of God. Would you clap your hands in Jesus' name? The family. The family. Satan's working overtime. The family. The family. 
Families right here in this house, right here in this room are under siege. Marriages are under attack. Don't you kid yourself. The command for parents to teach their children to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now listen. Some parents think that if I can just get my children to 18, if I can just get them to 21, then... Psalm 78 and 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Now watch this, verse 6. Read with me and read carefully now, along with me. That the generation to come might know them. This is why. He commanded their fathers, make them known to the children that the generation to come might know them. Comma. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children. <laughs> this is not about us trying to get you 18. This is not about us trying to get you to 21 and all of a sudden, well, good luck. No, 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 no. Amen. Now we need some grandparents. Now we need some grandparents that know how to say, Oh God, oh God, let it not be lost to this generation. Oh God, let it not be lost to this generation to come. Amen. we got to establish and set some hope. This teaches us that our aim cannot just be aimed to our generation. we got to aim up another generation and then another generation. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hear me today. Hear me this morning. That we cannot, we cannot negate our responsibility. I'm preaching to some grandparents in this house. My God, don't stop praying. Don't stop being faithful. Don't give up on what you've always believed. Don't change now. Don't change now. Amen. Don't give up now. Why? Because we got another generation behind this generation. We've got to reach them. We've got to reach them. Verse 78. And here it is. That they might set their hope in God. And forget not the works of God, but keep His commandments. Now I'm going to, if you just hold on to that in your mind, and I want to go back to Judges 2. Who did not know the God of Israel nor the things He had wrought. He said right here, if we can set their hope in God, that they won't just remember His commandments, but they'll remember the works of God as well. Let's let's just stand, can we? You've been so kind. A number of studies suggest that if neither parent is involved in worship, we're standing, but we're not dismissed, so please hear me. A number of studies suggest that if neither parent is involved in worship, then there's a 5% likelihood that their children would be worshipers. Where the mother alone was involved in worship, there was a 30% likelihood that the children would be involved in worship. Where the father alone, hear this fathers, 
who think your only responsibility is to mow grass on Saturday? Fix a leaking pipe every now and then? Where fathers alone were involved in worship, there was a 50% likelihood that their children would be worshipers. But where the mother and the father together were worshipers, there's an 85% chance that you're going to raise worshiping children. Now, if that's not enough to move you off your pew then we don't have a song in that filing cabinet. And there's not a note hidden in that piano. There's not a beat hidden in that drum. And there's not one single solitary word in those 66 books that I could say more. Because if you won't do it for your children, you probably won't do it for me. And I doubt you'll do it for Brother Raymond. I doubt you'll do it for Brian Boyette. I doubt you'll do it for Chris Osborne. But if we can do it for our children. So when it comes time to worship, you better move out of the way. I'm not trying to be, talk about being foolish in worship. I don't think that our praise and worship ought to be anything we can't validate with the Word. And some things some people do cannot be validated by the Word. Amen. He said, clap your hands. I'm not giving a list, but he said, clap your hands. He said, leap for joy. Talked about dancing. Amen. <clears throat> But everything that happens under the auspices of praise and worship, sometimes just people. But what we can validate with the Word is somebody could catch you doing something and stop you and say, now why are you doing that? And you could turn to the book and say, this is why. Then keep on doing it. Amen? <laughs> I didn't mean to shock you with that. <laughs> but our praise and worship ought to be validated in the Word of God. Amen. I got it. I got it. Hush. Amen. In Jesus' name, I'm asking you, Lord, to touch us. I'm asking you to help us, God. I'm asking you to touch us as a church. We're trying to set hope for generations to come. We're trying to create an atmosphere where children can come and they can be raised in the spiritual environment that will nurture them and strengthen their spiritual bones. Because if time tarries, because if time tarries, we're not always going to be here. That's right. time, time goes on. I, I won't offend you with this, but if time goes on, you're going to draw your last breath. And this old heart's going to pump its last pint. But if we have set hope, if we've set hope, if time moves on, if time moves on, this old flesh is going to fail. But if we've set hope, and I'm not cashing in on this moment, but if we've set some hope, <laughs> if you set some hope, we got at least two more worshipers. We got at least two more worshipers. My mom and dad left this world two years and two days apart. 
That affected my life. That affected my family. But it didn't affect my hope. Because my hope had been set a long time. A long time before that. I feel the presence of God sweeping in this house. I tell you what I know. I know we got a lot to do today. But I, I tell you what we need. I need, if we can do this quickly. I need every family to come. Every family, if you can come. Amen. If you're here. Now, up, up here, you've got to come close because there's people coming. Let's, let's be expeditious with this. In Jesus' name, bring your families, bring your families, bring your families, bring your families. If you see somebody here without a family, adopt somebody real quick. Jesus, Jesus, folks, I'm not trying to belabor this issue. But I'm telling you, you see this right here? This is what the devil's after. You see this right here? This is what hell's working overtime. There's sinister plots and everything. There's sinister plots. I mean, while you're while you're kind of gathering on in here, let me say something. Something else. The Bible puts so much emphasis on the solidity and the validity of men. I'm not ignoring our ladies, but hear me. Men, the priests of the home. Men should be leaders in worship. Men, 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 men. Men. He said to the men, he said three times a year, Exodus, you read it yourself. Men, come three times a year to the house of God and bring your very best with you when you come. And this was the covenant that God made with the men. I just read this this week again. And he said, if you men will come to my house three times a year, I'll see to it while you're gone that no man desires your land. I'll protect your land. I'll protect what you leave. Because why? When men leave the home, that leaves the home more vulnerable than it's ever been. But God said, men, if you'll come and put me first, I'll stand guard around your house. Now, don't take what I'm about to say too far because I don't sit down and dine on all this garbage, but I also don't live in a vacuum. But the majority of the sitcoms and things of that nature that are on television today that have anything to do with the family, you write it down. They make the man out the bumbling idiot. Now, if you think the preacher's just up here being chauvinistic today, you need to get your mind with me now. They make the man out to be just some bozo that can just barely get by. It's just a wonder he got dressed that day. You think that's all just for laughs? Uh-uh. There's a message going across to children. The children, get your eyes off the priest. Get your eyes off the priest. Brother Gibson, am I, am I out here too far? Am I out here, Brother Rayleigh, on my, Brother Poke, am I, am I out here on thin ice? They're trying to get our children. They're trying to get our children. Amen. Come here. They're, they're trying to get our children. Get your eyes off the priest of your home. Get your eyes off the priest of your home. Get your eyes on something else. Because if they can get your eyes off the priest of your home, then they can guide our children right where they want them to be. And they can sneak them past the most powerful force in that household. My God in heaven, 
I feel the Holy Ghost in this today. Amen. We're going to pray for our families. Amen. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to plead the blood over our families. In the name of Jesus. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Amen. 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 Where's Brother and Sister Rayleigh? Join your boys up here. Y'all, y'all come up here. Britt, go over there. Amen. Come on. Come on. Amen. We got to We're going to take control. Amen. We're Sister Mary. We're building some. We're building some walls around this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're building some walls around this. Hallelujah. Why? Because the devil's playing. He is playing for keeps. He's playing for keeps. He's not trying to get your children hooked on Snickers bars. He's not trying to get your children hooked on Diet Cokes. He wants them on heroin. He wants them on crack cocaine. He wants them on pornography. Hear me today. He wants them. He wants them wrapped up on alcohol. He wants them away from God and away from the altar. But we're going to build a wall. 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 Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Come on, let faith. Come on, church, let faith be found in your mouth. If somebody was intruding in your home right now, if you woke up right now and somebody was standing in your living room, I don't think we'd be whispering a prayer. I think we'd be praying a prayer. I don't think we'd be whispering for them to get out. I think we'd be screaming for them to get out. Jesus. 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Oh, in the name of the Lord God. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.